0: and the USOPC in no way warrants that content of featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. You gotta be a little crazy is how I look at it,
1: right? Like, you can't be normal. Olympians <laughs> aren't normal!
0: Mesdames et messieurs.
2: The greatest festival of our contemporary
3: society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is
1: gonna be close.
2: Oh! You do it. You do it.
3: Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But that is an Olympic champion. Ready. Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host Allison Brown. Allison, hello, how are you today?
2: I'm okay. It's been a rough week in the world, but we are creating a safe space.
3: It is. Oh, it has been a very bad week in the world. A lot of violence going on and um, it's hard. That's really,
2: it's really hard. So I'm saying we're creating a nice little happy safe corner of the world.
3: Very nice. We have today, we're talking with a sports and performance psychologist, which is really exciting because I always like that, the mental aspect and the performance aspect. Um, so I I, th- I thank you for getting this interview because it's like an hour of free therapy for me. <laughs> I do what I can to be supportive. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But before we get started, we wanted to remind you about our latest book club selection, which is The Second Mark, Courage, Corruption, and the Battle for Olympic Gold by Joy Goodwin. You can get your copy through our Amazon link on our website, olimfever.com, and that purchase will help support the show and give us more resources to do more for you as we get closer to... To Tokyo 2020. We'll have our next book club meeting in April, so get your copy today. And we're nailing down that date in April, but it'll probably be either right mid-April or the latter half of April. So So your spring break
2: reading is selected. Yes, exactly.
3: All right, moving on to today's guest, we have dr kristen kime with us today she is a clinical sports and performance psychologist based in bellingham washington the bay city who helps athletes with performance depression anxiety and transitioning out of sport she also researches concussions particularly in females which is an under-researched area which you know i have to an aside i was listening to the olympic channel podcast interview with elena myers taylor Uh, Yeah, last night, and well, it was a culmination of several interviews, but none about her most recent accident. But they did talk about her recovery from her fourth concussion, and this one that she just had is her fifth. Uh, Oh, that was yeah, right. That's really rough. So um, we'll see what happens with her. But uh, Dr. Kime researches concussions, particularly in females, which is an under-researched area, and. Elena noted that in her interview, so that yes, was really, it that was really well. interesting. But uh, Dr. Kime has a master's in sports psychology and a doctorate in clinical psychology. She's a certified consultant in the Association for Applied Sports Psychology and is a member of the U.S. Olympic Committee Sports Psychology and Mental Training Registry. We spoke with Kristen about her field and how athletes can benefit from seeing a sports psychologist. Take a listen.
2: So we're going to start at the very beginning with what is sports psychology?
1: Okay, So sports psychology is a specialized field within, per, yeah, I'd say, kind of human performance with the lens of a little bit more of positive psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy. Obviously, you know, most people, when they think of the word psychology, they think of you know, clinical depression, diagnoses, um, medication, psychiatry. So that's kind of the piece I have to educate people is that, you know, there's also two kind of groups of human performance where there's sports psychology consultants, where a lot of people, you know, will work on just like, you know, goal setting and imagery and self-talk and motivation and these really complex heavy. I mean, the word confidence is, you know, kind of thrown around a lot. So is motivation, but actually it's very fascinating. I mean, these are things I didn't realize until I started my master's in sports psychology, where there's thousands of research, like intense research into these things of like modalities of confidence and motivation, which honestly is not as, you know, maybe as heavy and as clinical and as psychopathology as you know, what creates, you know, bipolar or borderline personality disorder. Um, And so you can study and become a sports psychology consultant and just get a master's degree. Right. And that. But you're not a psychologist. So you're not someone where you have depression and you go and you have taught therapy or you get medication. Right. Um, And so I went down that route thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be a sports psychology consultant. Having been an elite and professional athlete, I then started to understand that, you know, well, at the top level, at the Olympic elite level, you know, you kind of already are doing that or you wouldn't have made it. You kind of already am. You're already using some of these things. Now, you may not be using them as a performance enhancement. Right. But you're using some really good mental skills because you don't just get to the top with physical talent. Right. So then then we brought in the complexity that at the top level, a lot of these athletes, you know, are humans and, you know, athletes are humans. You know, they're not just because you decide to be a professional athlete or Olympia doesn't give you some free pass where you're not going to have depression or anxiety. And I actually I beg to differ that a lot of people become athletes who are kind of type A, perfectionistic, you know, goal driven, and they kind of have underlying depression and anxiety, where this became their kind of medicine and outlet at a young age. Um, and so, you know, then when you get to this high level, the pressure cookers, you don't really have those tools. And now the sport is more like a job. It's not really your fun hobby, your joy anymore, right? It's kind of your money maker, And then these kind of depression, anxieties get exasperated and kind of come out when everyone thinks that, oh, you're an Olympian, everything's perfect, you know, life is perfect. Um, And so that's kind of where they merge sports psychology. Um, And so again, it's these words and our field still has a lot of kind of challenges around figuring out, you know, who can say they're a sports psychologist and, you know, and and obviously the public kind of always does the wrong thing, you know, always kind of labels people the wrong way. You know, at the end of the day, it's about doing good work is what I say, um, and making sure, obviously, you have the training. Personally, I have a master's in sports psychology, but I also have a doctorate in clinical psychology where I've trained in you know health psychology. I've worked in pain clinics. I've worked in all kinds of more just your typical clinical scenes, which I actually feel personally has helped me be even better equipped for my Olympic-level athletes because, again, athletes are humans. They're going to have injury. They're going to have pain. They're going to be overtrained. So now I kind of have a holistic lens of this kind of what we call a biopsychosocial model. And, you know, when we say when we see the thing sports psychology, I mean, it's kind of just a a field of psychology that might be a little bit more um, strength based. And then we can kind of, you know, you're kind of doing a lot. You're not just working with the clinical piece. You're kind of also helping this person prepare for a race too. So, it's 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 very challenging work, but very rewarding. But again, it's not just like I'm. These clients tend to be more uh, change and motivated for change than maybe some people who go to therapy. And um, you know are kind of there because they're just you know I'm being forced to come to therapy. Uh, usually, what I see in this population are people that you know are wanting to change and do well. So that kind of tells, hopefully, kind of explains sports psychology and kind of breaks some I, I think stigmas or ideas about it, where it's kind of a school thought of just very performance based about your you know human optimal performance, um, motivation, imagery, and then there's kind of the clinical piece that we kind of interweave. And as long as that person's trained, you know, in that area as well. How do clients end up coming to you? What's that, that impetus? Usually it's a problem, which I'm wanting to change that. Um, That's a big issue is that most people seek a sports psychologist when things are going wrong. People don't necessarily do that for coaching or nutrition as much. Nowadays, you see, and it wasn't that long. Now I have to back people up. It's like when I was racing, it was kind of a novel thing in cycling even to have a coach. I mean, you had to be really good to hire a coach. And this is like the early 2000s. So, you know, it is very normalized now that everyone at the top level has a coach. And I call it their village. They have a coach. They have a PT. They have a chiropractor. They have an acupuncturist. They have nutritionists. They have strength training. You know, it kind of takes that, you know, at the top level. It it just can't be because you're talented, right? The last piece, which I will beg to differ, I think is the most important, is still the sports psychology. That's usually, and it's only when something usually wrong is happening. Now, I will say I am every once in a while on the blue moon, I have someone who shows up and is like, I don't really have a significant issue. I just thought that this, I want to really be the best. So I want to make sure I'm mentally checking the boxes. And of course we always have something to work on. I'd like to see more of that moving forward because I feel like that, that is actually going to prevent some of, some of the chain the unfortunate changes that we're starting to see with the high, you know, prevalence of post Olympic depression and, the high levels of suicide within our culture, but also within the sports culture. So what kind of problems are people coming to you with? Usually confidence. That And it's funny, Olympians who may have gone to Olympics three times aren't confident. And if people kind of are like, what? Well, again, it's very complex. You know, my definition, this is kind of mine that I, I need to get trademarked, I guess, is autonomy plus efficacy Equals confidence. Take a female athlete. You know, our society doesn't empower women just as a general. How do you think they're being empowered to be athletes, right? And so I think that's a big piece for a lot of my female athletes is just their identity and their confidence around being strong, able-bodied, mentally strong, physically strong versus, oh, they went to college or they're a mom or all these other parts are, are put out to you know, society, especially Olympians, not just, you know, who they are. I mean, half the time, I don't even know Olympic men who have kids and families or other jobs or degrees, and they do too, right? But we always talk about these other identities with women. And, and the same thing for my men, um, you know, they definitely have imposter syndrome, not fitting in. Um, and then obviously, some that might be having depression or performance anxiety, um, and things like that. But Confidence is usually one that even if they don't come with that, I kind of peel the onion back and find that that's a big issue on their performance in in sport and life. So you, you mentioned earlier that
3: a, a lot of uh, athlete, elite athletes will channel depression or anxiety into their sport and not realize that they have those issues. What happens when somebody like uncovers that in their work with you? You know,
1: it's, it's like they don't, you know, I think ADHD is a really good one too. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about, oh, I had this as a kid and I rode a bike and, you know, I think that's great. But again, if it's, you know, <laughs> I still think someone needs to see a, you know, a child needs to see a psychologist, not just go do a sport. And I think that unfortunately the athletes I end up getting in their twenties or thirties, you know, they were in that culture back then where it was just like, oh, well they found the bike or whatever. And that helped them. Um, that doesn't help them with ADLs their activities of the day of living, how to their relationships with the world. Um, and so I think that that's a positive thing I'm seeing in our culture is more of acceptance around mental health and and, you know, getting help. And so for me, I just normalize it. You know, again, you you might have depression, but you're not your depression. And uh, depression is a disease, just like cancer. Right. And so I'm very big on just normalizing it. You know, it's like you just call it what it is. Name it. Work with it. You know, obviously my job is to tease out and make sure that they're even, you know, equipped to be able to training and racing. That's the first thing, you know, for me, it's, I think a safe space is that I'm not within your team. I I work very um, individually. I don't, I'm not associated with actual teams. And because again, that will take away, I feel like for me personally, that trust. That, you know, I'm going to um, talk to your coaches or if there's that internalized stigma around, you know, mental strength and, you know, talking about having depression is going to make me weak. As long as they feel open and vulnerable and have you know, the bravery and courage to talk about it, um, it, it can be heavy. But most of the time it becomes just beautifully relieving because they can just now they don't feel like they have a problem. It's like, oh, I have a depression. That's why I have these thoughts. That's why I I keep getting in my own way. It's not something that I can just fix on my own. So it's usually very positive. And I I love to, to say that to society. It's like, you know, talking to a psychologist is not, should, you know, I think we all should. I think we all have things to work on, right? The same for athletes. I think it's just something that we don't, you don't need to have a problem. But then sometimes you go in and you're like, oh, wow, I really do have more anxiety or you know, because we all have depression, and anxiety. It's just on a spectrum. Some people, it's very much more clinical. But you don't, you know, you're not born and you don't die without having anxiety and depression at some point in your life. It's just some people's, because of either experience, um, circumstances or genetics, right, it becomes more clinical and they need more support through therapy or medicine.
2: Do you find that the stigma within sports our mental health in general is even worse than in the general society?
1: I mean, I don't, I can't, it's hard to say if it's worse. I mean, the stigma is so bad in our society that of course in sport it's going to be bad, but I think the idea of able-bodied and um, this idea of what a strong athlete looks like is still a vicious cycle that all athletes are having with sharing. I mean, I have friends that I don't work with clinically who, you know, have severe anxiety disorders, oral medication and, you know, compete at the world's best. And they still feel like they wouldn't get a contract or they might lose their job if someone found out about it. Right. Um, I mean, yes, you have some NBA players that can come out. But again, for me, it's more not about generalizing sport. It's more about the culture of each individual sport around mm-hmm. mental health. And and all that, yeah. It's it very it's very different because like when you're when you're paid a lot of millions and billions of dollars, you can kind of be a you know you can be a little bit more open. You have a little safety net versus some sports where you know your livelihood is just your sport. And if you were to speak up about it, knowing that it might help people and help you know your friends and family or other athletes, you still might lose your job. You know they're they're not willing to take that risk.
2: Wow. That's heartbreaking.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. I mean it really it, it it really is and it's a serious problem. It really is. I mean I, I commend the athletes that are able to speak up, but again, it's a privilege that they're able to speak up because I think a lot of people just um and you know, a lot of people speak up when they retire. Right. That or they have a safety net. <laughs>
3: Yeah it, it really is so interesting with the the stigma and the worry because you you have a society today that also has outlets within social media for you to be able to broadcast your voice but people still can't speak their
1: voice or their truth
3: for that Yeah fear. live your
1: truth is like one of my big you know favorite hashtag things I've been saying it's like you are you know one of the biggest things is about being transparent and honest and breaking the stigma that you might have depression, but you're not your depression. And I argue that, you know, go look at all the great people that have suffered from clinical depression. I think that you, I always, you know, I'm being very honest. I say this all the time on podcast and I don't know if people want to just like never work with me. You gotta be a little crazy is how I look at it. Right? Like you can't be normal. Olympians aren't normal. Right? So you, your brain is already a little bit, not the typical person. Cause your body's not. So why are we thinking that your brain's not different? Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's connected without your brain, your body wouldn't be able to pole ball over that. Cause I mean, I look at that I'm like, that looks crazy to do that. Right? Like, but I'll go and throw my body down a mountain at, you know, 50 miles per hour on a bicycle. Right. Where people would be like, I would never do that. You know I mean? Again, it's like, but I say that again, to normalize it. It's like, and then we expect you to be perfectly healthy mentally when you're also pushing your body, I mean, you know, they're all they're not healthy is what I say. So your athletes are not healthy. Like they go beyond to like twenty minutes of exercise a day to have heart health, right? No, they're all overtrained. They're all broken. And then when they, you know, then when they're 35 years old, they're all like, you know, getting hip replacements. <laughs> I mean, you know, all this stuff. We idolize that. But that they're, you know, and that, that's another piece is that if your body is that burned out, your central nervous system doesn't differentiate between physical and mental stress, right? So actually your your job is to be stressed because I don't care. If you're not stressed at a start line, we have bigger fish to fry. It means you're not motivated because nerves are good, right? Not the paralyzing, but you need to be on amp, get the a right arousal level. But that is your job. I mean, you know, most of us just go to our jobs and we might have one or two every once in a while, once a month, a kind of like a little bit of a worry, but like your job, more often than not, is to be at this high level of arousal that impacts your body physically and mentally. Again, these are things that lead to higher chances of depression and anxiety. So basically your job already sets you up, and then if you already have a predisposition for an issue, it's basically just exasperating it.
2: I want to talk a little bit about injury, and you're talking about being overtrained and Mm -hmm. just we've talked We've talked to a couple of athletes who've had incredible injuries that they've come back from, yeah. like crazy stuff where yeah. you know Emily Cook broke both her feet and went and, and went back. Yeah. So how, how do you deal with something like that? Where do you start with an athlete with with that kind of injury?
1: I mean, again, it's it's about their job. you know um, You're an injured athlete, and your job now is recovery and not giving up hope. You know, your why might have to change, right? So it's not about competition, but also that's a beautiful time to work on balance, other identities, which actually will help them when they get back to competing because a lot of them become too polarized, too focused on sport, which also can exasperate depression and anxiety. You need to embrace, you know, it's kind of this weird thing with my female athletes. A lot of them actually transition out of sport better than men because they have other identities, So then it's a catch-22 because then it's like – but that also hinders them when they're competing because they have other identities, you see? So it's kind of this interesting thing, and I do think it helps women in injury sometimes because they usually have other identities. Um, My male athletes, it can be really challenging because, like, the sport is their only thing, you know? So I think that that's something. is just adding, you know, really connecting. I mean, that's when you found out who your real village is is when – you're not that perfectly com- healthy competing athlete. So there's a lot of, you know, I, I believe truly that the universe doesn't hand us anything that we can't handle. And that's something that I always kind of help my athletes understand that there's, there's a meaning and a why to this. And that's your journey now is to figure out the why. And, you know, when, when a door closes, oftentimes a lot of better doors will open up. And so it's just, but it's a grieving process. So there's definitely a little bit of grief therapy in there and you know and just so asso- you know assessing and sometimes people go through these things these traumatic injuries and decide oh, i really want to be a doctor now i want to go back to grad school i don't want to compete beautiful like again my job is not to make you race my job is to take care of you as a human being so i do just as much of talking people and to help you know figuring out that they don't need to compete anymore that it's time to move on it's time to retire um just as much as getting people to go back to competing after injury
3: you mentioned the village and having a village around you. How do you be a good village member?
1: Oh, it is basically those people who are there for you when things are really bad, and that's it. Because often not, you lose more than you win, and it's just t- statistics. <laughs> if you're clean, <laughs> I should say yeah. Yeah. parentheses, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because it's, you know, for, my, for me, it's like if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. But going back to the village piece, it's, yes, it's, it's, um, it's about the people who, I mean, I actually wrote an article. If you go to my website, it literally is a long article on what it takes to be, a, you know, what a village is for athletes. And it's that group that you, so for athletes, I always have them be kind of like a CEO, right? I always say, like, you're the conductor of the train. You're the CEO, this is your village. You're hiring them. You can hire and you can fire, just like that. The same thing about when you join a team. It's like, is this a good fit? It's not just about money. because I can tell you right now, you will not perform optimally unless it's a good fit. Teammates, directors, all that, right? Across sports cultures. But again, it's that internal thing. So it's like, do these people fit with my internal intrinsic motivators versus the external? Are they in it? You Because know, again, like of course, we all want to be a part of an athlete who has you know is good right it's like oh i want to jump on that ship but you know for me i actually my dream or my dream athletes are the ones where they say oh i want to go to the olympics and it's like yeah you could do that but they're not you know it's like yeah eight years from now and i've done that with a few athletes where you know no one believed them i just i don't know if i have a sixth sense i was like yeah you can do it and this is how we're going to do it. It's, a, it's about consistency, right? So it's a village who wants to help you build consistently. And here's a, the right way to do it versus like immediate gratification. The village that's just like, yeah, we want big time right now because that will burn athletes out. So it's a village that will be there for eight plus years, for four years. will be there before the Olympics to help you after the Olympics. Right. And it it might change, you know, coaches change, but there, you know, there will always be those core people. I feel like that, you know, you can really lean on when, when, when you're injured or things aren't going bad. Those are the main players in your village and the athlete chooses, you know, the P PR person, the manager, whatever, the athlete needs to choose that. It needs to be like a gut feeling, and those people, you know, may not be your best friends, but they need to understand your philosophy, your mission statement. Again, these are the things that I promote athletes creating for themselves. They're why, you know, they're the they're the it's the business. I mean, you know, sport is an entertainment. I have to tell a lot of my guys that. I mean, I know you love to race, but you know, it's you're an entertainer too, in a way, right? Like you do have to do your sponsorship stuff. And I know it's annoying to fly to whatever, but you know, they're paying your check right now. They're paying their bills. Have you ever had
2: to tell an athlete you've got to stop for mental health reasons?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: So how does that go?
1: Um, usually it's not hard cause they just needed someone in their village to be real and say that I just got off with, um, a, 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 lady who's a doctor and she's asking me about, um, joining, you know, helping with this pro running team and, you know, she, we got into a deep conversation around that. And I was like, yeah, it's like, literally I've had kids, you know, who were just like, yeah, I love Dr. Kahn. She's so good at getting people to stop their sport. And I was like, you know, I may not want to have that as my tagline, (laughs) (laughs) but I am, because again, you are a human to me, not just the athlete. The human side is way more important. And usually I am the one that help someone and they already know it. They just need someone to say, it's okay to stop. You know, there's a difference between quitting and giving up. It is okay to quit. I don't want to get you to the point where you're so burned out you have to give up in races you know, or whatever. And then you don't even want to touch your bike or you never want to swim again. I want to stop. I want you to go out, maybe not on top perfectly, but on your own, you know, kind of uh, by your own choice. And, yes, yeah, sometimes it has to be because of, of an of a injury or concussion. But if not, let's do it on your own terms as, as, as healthy as it can be. Well,
3: speaking of concussions, there's so much we don't know. How, what have you been seeing in how traumatic brain injuries affect people? Because it, it, everyone affects, uh, you know, concussion affects everybody differently.
1: It's a snowflake. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, my dissertation is actually on mild traumatic brain injuries in female athletes, and I was one of the first people to ever actually do a dissertation or research on females because guess what all the studies and protocols are based off of? Why college male athletes? <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> Deep breath. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and we still don't know a lot. And, you know, and it's this challenge with CTE, you know, it's a very, everyone likes to put, to put everything in a box and have one fix and concussion, concussions are so complex and mental health is so depression is so complex. And yes, yes, concussions can create depression, but also being injured can make you depressed. Um, having to deal with concussion can make you depressed. So for me, it's not about what caused it as much as like, what are the presenting symptoms and how do we work with them? Right. And maybe educating the athlete that, like, yes, you never had concussion. I mean, you never had depression, and now you're having depression. Well, yes, you're not competing now. But also, let me t- teach you what the brain's going through when it has a concussion. Um, very, you know, psych ed piece. But, you know, a lot of journalism and the peanut gallery of society, they just, you know, it's like, well, concussion means you're going to get depressed and you're going to die by suicide. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa back up. Let's look at the big picture. Did this athlete have already presenting depression? Did they already have a severe anxiety disorder? I mean, you know, again, it's like, you know, they died by suicide. I'm not saying it wasn't exasperated by the concussion, but we can't say that was completely causation statements yet because we still don't know the complexity. We don't know. And the problem is with concussions related to suicidality, the problem is, We can't do the research we want to do because those clients, those athletes or whoever are dead. So we can't research them. We can't ask them, you know, and that's the problem. We that's who we need. I mean, that's, you know, the survivor story still doesn't paint the picture of the completed story. What needs to
2: change on the fan level in terms of how we talk about athletes and mental health?
1: Oh, you know, it's fascinating. I think there was something about the, was it the NBA that came out about the mental health stuff with players? And I mean, I couldn't even read the comments because it was just talking about like, oh, you're all these rich rich boys and you get paid money and blah, 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 blah. You don't feel, you feel sad. And I mean, it was just disgusting. I mean, again, it's like, just because you have money, just because you have fame, that doesn't mean that, you know, that was a thing. I mean, I'd probably go into the depression if I went on on social media and read some of these horrible comments about me. Right. There you go. I mean, that's it. It's just um, it's toxic. You know, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's not a coincidence. I mean, research has come out and said that social media now is being proven to be one of the main factors for depression for ages 18 to 25 or, four, or 15 to 25. And, you know, and that's the thing, you know, yes, I can tell my athletes to stay off online, but they they, they, they they, should be able to live in the world and go and see their friends on Instagram or whatever and not have to feel like they're getting trolled and, you know, ripped apart to pieces. And that's the thing. These people don't know this person. They don't know their trauma history. They don't know that they're going through a divorce. They don't know that they actually do have a depression, that they're working on with, you know, therapy or medications, and they still can be professional athletes. Like, you know, you can you can thrive and have a clinical disease with the right therapy and, and medication. But again, everyone thinks it's a choice. They think you choose to be depressed. You choose to be anxious. You choose to have these things. And at the clinical level, it is not a choice. It is a disease. It's an illness. Why would anyone choose that?
2: <laughs> Honestly, you know? One of the things that you mentioned on the website was the U.S. Olympic Committee Sports Psychology and Mental Training Registry. And I'm just wondering, what what is that?
1: Um, So basically, I am, you know, I have my degrees, which is the most important piece. Then we have these certifications that we can get. I, I don't think most athletes even know or understand any of the certifications. It's more just like, oh, she's a sports psychologist and it's a good fit, but there's one called the association of applied sports psychology, which is kind of our international, I guess, you know, certification kind of accreditation that like you've, you've met all these other extra credentials to be a certified mental performance consultant, a CMPC is what we're calling it now. They've changed it. So, um, and then if you are, part of that and certified under them which i am then you're on this registry for the olympics so you're not i don't work through the olympics but if athletes need help then i'm in that kind of pool that they could reach out to someone but i I work with canadian i mean i work with lots of different athletes so that's why i don't want to work through the just the American, because I work with other countries too. So, <laughs> but you know, I'm putting that on there is just one of my certification kind of credentials. Excellent. Well, we're
2: just about out of time. That.
1: Thank you, Kristen. You can find Kristen at
3: kimeperformanceconsulting dot com on Facebook. She's Keim Performance Consulting. on Insta and Twitter. She is the K two. That's the number two. And on LinkedIn, she's Kristen Kime, and on Medium, she is at Dr. Kime. We'll have links to all of those in the show notes. That was
2: really interesting. I got to say, I know. I, it, you know, this is all very personal mm-hmm. for me because I have had my own <laughs> mental health journey, shall we mm-hmm. say? And pretty much everything she mentioned, I have had. So right, it was, right. It was interesting to hear it from a different. A different angle you know not in my own personal treatment or my own personal therapy to hear somebody talking about it externally was very interesting and from a, a you know a completely different arena
3: right and you know in in when i do roller derby officiating we talk about a sports psychology a little bit when I, I used to teach officiating clinics and we would touch a little bit on that and i've done a little bit of reading but not a ton but i can tell you that performance anxiety is real and it would be like a couple of days before a tournament, I would get this incredible freak out. And I did it this past, a couple of weeks ago, where it was just like the day before. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? I have the biggest imposter syndrome. I don't know anything. I'm incredibly freaked out. And it's very hard to work through that sometimes and Absolutely. just put yourself back out there. So, and but um, I also appreciated what she said about needing to have a little bit of anxiety to heighten your performance because you right. need you that you have
2: to be ready to go you have to take it seriously nerves make you prepare more mm-hmm. but too much and you are laying on the floor yeah exactly and yeah yeah and exactly I, and i mean that quite literally yeah yeah it
3: can be rough so it it's really interesting to hear that and hear how athletes can benefit and it's you know it's something that is interesting to hear that that should be part of your athlete village. Mm. You know, I I appreciated how she talked about that little having your your team. I mean, she didn't call it posse, but I think in other other fields she would call it a posse. I think <laughs> right? we need a posse.
2: We we could. I I would love to have one. <laughs> I, I, we need more of a village. We need. We, our defi- we well, definitely. we have a team. Like... Yeah, but yeah, yeah we do. We, yeah, we need a posse. So okay, so we'd have a um. Our therapist mm-hmm. in, in our posse, mm-hmm. we'd have. Oh, to we have. Let's
3: call it a village. I don't... Okay,
2: okay. So in our village, we definitely need our our performance psychologist. Right. We'd need an ENT because I <laughs> constantly am dealing with throat issues. I need to find a, a really good ENT for our village.
3: I would like a vocal coach. Yeah. I would really like. I would like that. A um, massage
2: therapist just that because. would be good
3: that would be good <sighs> there are so many people i can't I even you know hair
2: doesn't... and makeup yes <laughs> i mean if you're going to start releasing bonus video we absolutely need hair and makeup
3: yeah i hadn't thought about that and then of course fitness we need some fitness because that right. helps with endurance
2: if we have long
3: taping days yes we need that and focus and all that oh my gosh do you need a village? I'd like to give a special shout out to our Patreon patrons. They, we invest a lot of time and money in this show and we appreciate the patrons who help make us happen. Join our group at patreon.com slash olim fever and get special patron benefits, including audio you can't get on the show. And we've got some bonus audio from Dr. Kimes. That's, that's really interesting because. Yes, we do. Um, she alluded to the Kelly Catlin death. That we spoke of last week, and we talked a little bit about that—not a ton because she's not that close to it—but it was interesting to hear what what she had to say. Moving on to our Team Olympic Fever update.
2: Tofu, because it's happy news. <laughs> it is
3: happy news. Why don't you do the? Why
2: don't you? Leave oh, okay, it up? I guess to do the so. Uh, Norda combined Brian Fletcher and his wife welcomed a son, Beckett Wright Fletcher, this week, and mom and baby are doing well. And uh, he posted on Instagram that so far, meaning within a couple of days, uh, Ellery loves being a big sister. That so is congratulations awesome. to Brian and family. That That's was, amazing. and you know what was funny. I saw that the same day as the Christchurch attacks. Oh. So I was you know, going through Instagram and that popped up and I was like, okay, I'm gonna be okay. There you go. That's good.
3: Congratulations, Brian. Also in winter sports news, Sarah Hendrickson was reelected as the International Ski Federation's Women's Ski Jumping Athlete Representative and she will serve for another two-year term on the Athletes Committee. That's awesome. I know. Has she have you noticed if she talked much about coming back because she did take a season off? She's still jumping. OK. Oh, so, she took a season off a of competition,
2: but not necessarily training. Right. She's not training, I think, as much because she mm-hmm. was focusing on school. But, yeah, she'll I think she's planning to come back oh, for uh, for 2022.
3: Well, it's exciting that she's going to be on the athletes committee, too, because that's a she's a good voice for her sport. Uh, Shiva Keshevan is working on a project plan to create India's first Olympic training center for winter and adventure sport. That is exciting. I am so excited to see what he does now that he's uh, retired from competition. I
2: know. And that was always a goal of his. Yes. so. So that's fantastic. So we will
3: be following those developments. Jason Bryant and his dulcet tones are in Pittsburgh for the NCAA Division I champs this weekend which i mean i'm kind of bummed that i'm not there <laughs> i would like to meet jason bryant in person
2: and just hear his voice all day long <laughs> you know just like i was saying i want to have emily cook send me off every yes, morning exactly exactly. Need to have a tape of jason bryant just <laughs> yes, get out of bed you <laughs> should brush your teeth right
3: Let's come narrate my day. But if you're following the action in Pittsburgh, you will need his preview guide, which is chock full of stats, bios, and records. You can find that on com. Ice hockey referee Jessica LeClerc wrapped up her collegiate hockey season by officiating the Women's NCAA Division three College Championship, which was very exciting to see. Yeah,
2: I like that. I saw this one.
3: About- yeah, yeah. Go, yeah ahead, so go ahead. Brad Wilson.
2: Finished uh, third in the. Is this really this many S's? Yes. U S S S A Mogul Championships in dual moguls. That was very nice oh. to see. Congratulations. Yes, he posted on that as well. So dual moguls seem to be his thing this year. Interesting. Like that's what he's podiumed yeah. on. Interesting. Well, that's good. All I know is my knees hurt just watching. I know. And and back my back. And back you know, now that but- he has <laughs>
3: explained that his back also hurts all the time. Like oh boy. The biathlon world championships has completed and Claire Egan uh, was in the 12.5 K mass start race. She had a really rough shooting day and missed five targets and finished in 26th. So she had said at the beginning of the season that was going to be her last season competing, but we haven't heard anything yet.
2: The best thing that she posted Mm -hmm. um, during world championships on Instagram was she had a shot of her rifle in the corner of the, um, uh, hotel room mm-hmm. and she said "Rifles in the corner and time out so <laughs> she definitely was keeping her humor and and a great attitude about the whole thing
3: and speaking of rifles Kim Rody is in uh, Acapulco competing in a World Cup event and said on Twitter uh, that she had reached her minimum qualifying score in bunker to be eligible to shoot trap in the Olympics nice so, yeah i haven't been able to find anything more about that but that's apparently what's going on wish i was in acapulco right now yeah i know it's chilly it is sunny so yeah but we'll it's that. not acapulco we'll that. that is true so continue on kim we wish you much success in this event this uh, world cup event uh moving on to tokyo 2020 <laughs> Bad news and good news out of Tokyo 2020 Should we get the bad news out of the way? Yeah All right. Japanese Olympic Committee President Tsunikazu Takeda Has announced that he will retire in June And there is Surprise A bribery investigation around the Tokyo bid And he's been at the center of it
2: Yeah, so he's retiring Yeah, you put that in air quotes for- Air quotes, <laughs> yeah That's
3: Which is but- rough because, you know obviously if you were the president of the committee you would not want to retire before your games
2: comes up right and so i wonder i just i wonder if there's any precedent for losing the committee president a year before your games that's a good question i don't know we should look into that
3: or if listeners you have time to look into that we'd love to hear about it he also had to takeda also had to resign from his ioc seat wow uh, because of that and apparently in some of the news i read t Bach had said that he would not show up for the one year to go um <gasps> oh yeah the one year to go um celebration event because uh he didn't want to be associated with that so who knows what's going to happen here
2: wow you get a slap in the face from t Bach. right That's not cool right so don't know all the situation but um it's pretty let's hope it doesn't reflect in 2020
3: right right and you know the funny thing is like when you it's almost funny when you hear about these bribery scandals for uh getting votes for the bid to win your bids now that the ioc is having such trouble getting bid cities
2: yeah right i hadn't thought of that but that's very true It's like you only have one competitor, right? And yet you still feel (laughs) the need to bribe the judges, right?
3: And and Tokyo beat Madrid and Istanbul in their bid cycle, so it's just like it's
2: kind of like how so now in in the U.S. we're having this huge uh, college bribery scandal. Oh right! It's sort of like how stupid do you think your kid is? That in a race of three, you really think you need to bribe the judges.
3: (laughs) Right? Oh, man. But we'll see. We'll keep an eye on on this story and see how it unfolds. But But something that
2: does give us hope for Tokyo 2020. Yes. They released the design of the torch today. And
3: it is beautiful.
2: It is stunning. They based it on a cherry blossom. So when you look at it from the top, it has five you know we would look at it as as a daisy petal. Mm-hmm. sort of that rounded and it's rose gold and it sparkles. And it's really like no other torch because of that color. Right. The it's,
3: it's the color stunning. and that that flower design from the top. It, it it is beautiful.
2: So I'm hopeful that given how beautiful the design is that it's all going to go smoothly. And did you see the um the poster for the torch relay? I'm looking at it right now. It has this really beautiful, you know, suggestion of a flame. Right. Which I think makes it very interesting. So I'm hopeful that this is reflective of how they're doing design in general. So it's really beautiful. It is. So well done, Tokyo 2020. They didn't have to bribe the jeweler who designed that, (laughs) he
3: just did it because
2: it's gorgeous. Moving
3: on to other Olympics news, more sad and happy. So let's get the sad out of the way. The Japanese super fan known as Uncle Olympics passed away. And uh, it's it's he had been at every summer games since um, Tokyo 1964. And apparently oh. he was really well known. Uh, he was 92 years old. He died on March 9 from heart failure. And uh, he was just a fixture in the stands, and people recognized me. Had these big, big uh, costumes that he would wear, and big flags, and fans, and things like that. So he was
2: really beloved, and sad that he inspires. other Japanese fans to kind of take up the mantle for 2020. This could actually be a really beautiful thing because you could end up with, you know, a whole generation of new super oh, fans. Of- of new superfans who see the story and say i want to take that forward from this olympics on right so hopeful
3: also the canadian federal government has pledged 30 million dollars over the next five years to the canadian olympic committee to promote accessible safe ethical and equitable sport you know it's it's nice that they've pledged money to help fund more um safety measures and equality measures and accessibility measures but um let's see what that actually means exactly we'll see how that plays out so a little ending on a little bit of
2: hope did you see the torch it's so pretty
3: (laughs) it is so pretty oh man
2: i'm just i'm just gonna get a little picture of it to put by my desk and just you know when when everything is getting me down i'm gonna look at that beautiful torch and it's going to light the way Come on, that was good. It
3: was great. I have nothing. I had no... I was, <laughs> Hope will light the way. That it will. We'll wrap it up for this week, and we'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive.
0: Stay in touch. Email us at olympfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Athletes are humans.